a black executive perspective. Look, man, they didn't get a chance to play chess. They had to play checkered. Let's talk about it, T. Openly and honestly. There was a lot of smart kids there. A black executive perspective. Now, my story's not unique. There's thousands of professionals of color who have experiences like mine. A black executive perspective. Whether you're aware of it or not, it's a topic that is often avoided. We'll discuss race and how it plays a factor and how we didn't even talk about this topic because we were afraid. A black executive perspective. Today, diversity, equity, and inclusion. DE&I programs are widespread in corporate America, but there's a problem. They're often ineffective at creating better environments for employees. These programs allow companies to check the DE&I box, but they fail at their most basic objective of changing people's mindsets to be more inclusive. Why is it so hard to implement effective DE&I programs? More importantly, what needs to change to create more inclusive workplaces? In today's episode, The Black Square, is DE&I working? We will discuss these areas as well as the history, the goal, challenges, the pushback, and possible solutions. Welcome to a Black Executive Perspective podcast, a safe space where we discuss all matters related to race, especially race in corporate America. I'm your host, Tony Tidbit, and I've been in corporate America for about 35 years, so I'm ready to sit down, break down these barriers, and address the topic of race in the workplace. In this episode, we will dive deep into the concept of DEI and the evolving DEI departments within companies. In 2020, hundreds of companies posted Black Square on their social media feeds to show their support for the injustices the Black community faced and made pledges to be more inclusive. Although DEI departments exist, are companies truly implementing change? Has change truly emerged since 2020? Our guest today, Leslie Drish, Vice President, Director of Diversity, Equity, Inclusion at Federal Home Loan Bank of Chicago, will help us examine the history of DEI, why it's needed, and is it still working? So let me give you a, tell you a little bit about Leslie. As VP, Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion for Federal Home Loan Bank of Chicago, Leslie implements and monitors programs that advance diversity and inclusion journey within the bank. She is responsible for strategically supporting leadership on DEI, focusing on innovative, engaging, and cutting-edge initiatives that drive DEI deeper into the bank's organizational culture. Leslie has over 25 years experience developing innovative, diversity, volunteer, and educational programs with proven ability to drive performance, program improvement, quality initiatives, and quantifiable results. She has been recognized for community outreach and development of programs that engage support, organizational mission, vision, and strategy. In 2019, Leslie was named as a Chicago Defender Woman of Excellence. She is currently serves as the board of Gads Hill Center and is a mentor for the National Association of African Americans in Human Resources. Prior to joining FHLBC, Leslie was the inclusion and diversity manager for Tyson Foods. She was manager of diversity and inclusion at the YMCA of America, 
and the Director of Education at Chicago Urban League. In addition, she was educator at Morgan Park High School in Chicago, Illinois. I love that. Leslie earned her master's educational leadership from National Lewis University, a master of public education administration from University of Illinois at Chicago, and a bachelor of arts in education from DePaul University. Leslie, welcome to a Black Executive Perspective podcast. Thank you so much, Tony. I appreciate it. I mean, you're very accomplished. So, you know, we're blessed to have you. And especially when it comes to this topic, because obviously this is a, you know, especially over the last three years, this has been a huge thing. There's a lot of things going on positively, negatively. So we definitely want to, you know, uh, get your expert opinion, what's going on. I have some questions for you. Our audience is obviously they all work in corporate America their companies are having DEI initiatives. So it'll be good to hear from you, you know, how everything is going and your thoughts in terms of taking it to the next level and then what solutions you see in terms of making DEI very uh, efficient and more importantly, here to stay. But before we go to that, we'd love to hear a little bit of your background. Tell us a little bit about you. Well, um, so I am born and raised Chicago, Illinois. And so you mentioned that I taught high school at Morgan Park High School. And mm -hmm. I'll be honest, I graduated from that school four years prior and I walked right back in as a teacher. So <laughs> I love it. So I, I, I truly believe that in community, I believe in um, serving and working with children and providing opportunities for them. I, uh, did that for a number of years, but then I went to go work for the Urban League. And it's really interesting because I started as a volunteer for the Chicago Urban League and I became a part of their young professionals auxiliary. And so that helped, helped me hone my leadership skills. And it really got me connected into what corporate America was doing in Chicago specifically, because I was able to have a much better understanding of um, the Black experience in corporate America, what young professionals were experiencing in corporate America. And so I went, after I volunteered, I went to go work for the Urban League for several years as their director of education. So my job was primarily to expose young people to corporate America and help them understand the pathway to get from where they are or where they were into the C-suite. And so we partnered with several um, companies in the Chicagoland area. I was able to work with a number of young people and they're now working at Loop Capital. They're doing all kinds of great things. Um, they were working for John Rogers here in Chicago. So that's been great. And from there, I went over to the Y and um, I really, that's when I kind of shifted away from just the black experience, but more into diversity, equity, and inclusion. So in that role, I traveled from Maine to Hawaii, and I helped WISE all across the country um, think about their DEI strategies and what they could do to incorporate um, diversity, equity, and inclusion into their YMCAs. So I made that transition into corporate America, and so now I work for a bank, but if you had told my high school self that I would be working at a bank, I would have looked at you like, like you had five heads because I thought I was going to be a teacher for life. So, <laughs> well, listen, number one, uh, I love that background. I love, you know, how, you know, your, your journey is taking you into different things, different areas. And then more importantly, um, how you have helped so many people. So I hear you when you said, Hey, you thought you would just still be, you know, a Chicago teacher. 
But more importantly, I'm glad you're not <laughs> because you've really touched a lot of lives in terms of what you've been able to do. And then I, 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 I and we'll talk, we'll dive into it a little bit in terms of when we, when we, uh, get into the uh, discussion, but, you know, for you to, to work at an organization and then be able to get a, a view of the African-American experience and want to be able to, to, to understand and help it, that is awesome. And that's one of the things that we definitely want to dive into today to get more people to, to uh, you know, see, uh, break through the clutter, I should say, <laughs> and, and be able to see some of the things that people of color go through. But before we go to that, you seem like a very talented individual. Okay, you you like multiple talents. So I'm gonna this is one of this is our icebreaker session. Okay. So I'm gonna ask you this question. All right. What superpower you wish you had? I would suppose the superpower I would want to have is to be able to read people's minds. Working in the DEI space, a lot of times people don't necessarily feel comfortable sharing their true opinions because yep. they, how they are, how they think they might be perceived. And so, right. but really until you can understand what people are thinking and why they're thinking that and what experiences that they've had, um, you really can't move the needle. And so being able to read people's minds is definitely something I would, I would cherish. Now, you know, listen, so I got to share this with you. Somebody asked me that question years ago. I said the exact same thing. I would love, because I'm a deep thinker and I would love to, and I like to, you know, relate to people and, and sure. be very empathetic and see their points of view and stuff. And so I said, I would love to read people's mind. Then I thought about it. It was like, could I handle what they think, what they're thinking about? <laughs> <laughs> And I don't think I could. So, you know, you probably can, but I don't think I could. But thanks for sharing that with you. So um, who are your favorite people that you follow in business, if you have any? So I really enjoy following David Casey. Um, He used to be the um, chief diversity officer for CBS Health. Now he's doing some other things, but he had... I had the opportunity to meet him um, a few years ago and how he was talking about DEI and especially with, and as I'm sure we'll talk about later, with social media and how CBS Health was really experiencing understanding communities through um, social media and understanding challenges in different communities um, was really a thoughtful perspective. So he's definitely someone that I watch all the time. Awesome. You know what? I'm going to look him up because he sounds somebody, you know, um, very intriguing and seems like he's got his foot on the pulse of what's going on from a DEI standpoint. And then the last question, who had the most influence in your life? I would say my father. Um, Honestly, my father um, is black, well, was black, um, but he grew up, he was born in 1930. And he, uh, his parents both passed when he was very young. And so um, he raised himself from the time he was 12 years old in Chicago. And he really just exemplified what a true, um, generous soul 
is and what, and he always taught me, um, it's very important to teach people who don't know any better. So he went through a lot of experiences in his life. And because of the way I look, um, people have said strange things to me, um, not knowing that I'm um, black. And, and so um, I have always taken that advice that he gave me to teach people who don't know any better and help them um, on their journey. So that's, that's something that kind of followed me into my career. And that's probably that why awesome. I'm in DEI right now. That is awesome. That is awesome. Thank you for sharing. That is great. And yeah, I'm pretty sure he's very proud of you as well. Yeah. So you ready to talk about it? I am. I'm always ready to talk about DEI. All right. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Always what we try to do here on a Black Executive Perspective podcast, obviously we talk about a lot of topics, but we want to, you know, first start off to make it real simple. So my first question is, Give us some historical background. When did DEI start? You know, when did it start taking off? You know, because a lot of times people think, to be fair, DEI started in 2020. <laughs> okay. After George Floyd, right? Because that's when most people heard about DEI. But give us a little background. Sure. So I would say, you know, with the civil rights movement, um, DEI really started then because that's when a lot of legislation was passed that really impacted people in the workplace. So you had the Equal Pay Act of 1963, you had the Title VII uh, Civil Rights Act of 1964, you have the um, Employment Act of 1967, where people um, who were over 40 couldn't get discriminated against in the workplace. So it wasn't even then, even though it's a part of the civil rights movement, it still was looking at women. It was still talking and taking into account all of those other dimensions of diversity that aren't really um, thought about. So from there, you know, that's kind of when or a company started saying, okay, well, we need to start doing some things to put some practices into place to make sure that we are obeying the law essentially. But then in the 80s, you had kind of a shift and then there were more women coming into the workplace. You also had a lot more um, people of color coming into the workplace. So in the 80s, that's when a lot of those employee resource groups started to take place. Okay. And yep. employee resource groups are just generally groups of individuals that share a common dimension of diversity, where they talk about their experience in the workplace, they work with their companies to help them think through what, how they could recruit better and how they mm -hmm. can make things more um, uh, equal for people in their workplace. So those that launched in the 1980s. Then in the okay. 1990s, that's when companies started to say, hey, wait a second, um, there's a huge market out there for different um, people. And we can't right. just market to white people. We have to be right. a lot more cognizant of, you know, what we're selling, who we're selling to, why we're selling these products, how they're going to benefit these other communities. And so in the 90s, that was that shift, I would say, mm -hmm. into mm -hmm. really thinking about multicultural um, market development. And then, you know, we have all these things happening. So like in 1993, you have the Family and Medical Leave Act happening. Um, and that allows people to now take unpaid leave for childcare, but that happened in the 90s. So there mm -hmm. are all these kind of legislative things that are happening. You know, you have 
uh, in 2020, um, discrimination against LGBTQ individuals is introduced. So it's been, these are topics that have been ongoing since right. the early 60s. So if I'm hearing you correctly, 63, 64, civil rights. So we're talking 60 years ago, 1980s. Hey, we, we want to uh, expand to more diverse people, increase the talent pool. Um, so I, I totally get that. And then obviously, you know, other laws for people that are, uh, you know, disabled, we want to make sure that we include them. And then, you know, LTB, LGBTQ, we want to, you know, make sure that, you know, we include everybody under the tree and making sure they all have an equal opportunity. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to throw a couple of things at you and I want to get your take on this. Okay. So this is an, an article from CBS news money watch. This was March of 2021. And the headline says it could take a hundred years for black employees to catch up in corporate America. This study finds, and the study was by a corporate counseling firm called McKinsey. All right. And what it said is, is that and this was 2021. This is after George Floyd. Black Americans represent 7% of managers compared to 66% for white people. Okay. 15% for Asian Americans and 8% for Hispanics. All right. The percentage of black Americans in senior roles, senior vice president, you know, vice president, senior vice president is like 3.2%. And then when you get up to CEO, it's 0.8%. Yeah. Now, one of the things I found interesting is when I looked at this, they even broke down some of the different, you know, from the different groups, right? Women, uh, the percentage of women who are CEOs and CFOs is the highest ever, okay? At, in 2021, it was 6.9% of companies were led by female CEOs and 15.1% had fe female CFOs, right? It did say the number of black CFOs nearly doubled from 2020 to 2021, which I don't know. I couldn't find that number, but black CEOs stayed stagnant, right? Six, 682 companies in the study, uh, people of color had uh, 73, 73% was 73 CFO positions, which was an all-time high at 11%. So it seems like, okay, some things are working. Here's where I wanted to get to. Latinx and Hispanic people represent the largest racial and ethnic minority group in the United States, comprising of 18% of the total population, yet found only 20%, 20 Latin and Hispanic people served as chief executive officers in 2021, down two from 23 I mean, the year before. While Black people make up 13% of the country, there were only six Black CEOs in 2021. However, Asian Americans, who comprise of almost 6% of the U.S. population, had the most representation at the CEO level, where they were 40 during 2021 and then 41 in 2020. So, and obviously, I'm probably not telling you anything that you, you, you're not aware of, right? But based on that, you know, and just going backing up a little bit, DEI, it didn't start fully in this whole uh, premise the way it is now in 1963, 1964, but it's been around, it's been evolving, okay? Correct. So based on these numbers, do you, I mean, is it, you know, and again, I don't know what numbers were, uh, and probably was was probably 
uh, nil back in the early 60s in terms of people of color in, in corporate America at high levels. But just hearing those stats, what's your thoughts? I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Well, I mean, you're not you're not saying anything um, that <laughs> most people don't know. <laughs> so I'm not. Um, but what, but what I will say is, um, you know, you're right. I mean, the challenge for people of color in um, corporate America is is great, and I would say there's some really interesting research that came out. I want to say in 2020, 2021 from um, Corn Ferry. And it really talks about black and brown people of color in um, corporate America and why they were so behind. And so what they found is that um, people of color have to prove themselves more than other groups do in corporate America. Absolutely. So what happens is a lot of times people of color, especially black people, they have to take a lot more risk on than other um, people in their um, companies do in order to prove that they have the capability of earning those titles. So what we what that research found is that fewer than 10% of black PL leaders, I mean 10% of PL leaders are black because a lot of times they're not taking those profit and loss um, jobs. They have more jobs that are in like um, IT or they're in human resources or those types of things. And really when you want someone that's going to be a CEO, you want them in that PL uh place. The other thing is um, when Black leaders take on those roles, they're a lot of times being put in situations where they're not necessarily giving the same, given the same support or resources right. in right. order to be um, successful. And so the other thing is they don't have that network that's built in for them necessarily that other, their white counterparts do. And so that's right. what makes it so much more challenging. And then we can talk a lot about like sponsorship, you know, who knows your name, how they know that you work. You can talk a lot about bias. You can say, you know, I want someone that went to the same school I did, that had the same manager I did. So there are a number of factors besides just doing these DEI programs that impact how and where um, Black leaders get into those C-suite positions. So number one, thank you. And actually, you kind of, I love you because you, you know, I, those are some of the questions I was going to get to and you got right to it. <laughs> so I love it, right? I love it. So let me ask you this. So if that's the case, uh, and, 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 and correct me if I'm wrong, um, I know based on what you just got finished telling us, DEI, you know, officially started in the early 60s and evolved, but it kind of took off after the George Floyd thing. Yeah. Where you saw, like I, like in my monologue, where I said a lot of companies said, hey, we're going to, you know, restructure stuff. We're going to make sure that our company is inclusive. We saw companies take out ads, you know, on television. Um, you know, you have companies, you know, have signs in their windows. We're inclusive. We're this, we're that, we're this and that, right? Now, over the last year or so, we've seen a lot of companies let their DNI officer um, go. Yep. We've seen a lot of companies cut back on DEI, right? The numbers that I read earlier, and then the 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 stats that you just got finished articulating in terms of the, you know the issues. Why? So if that's the case, why are these companies 
not really 100% behind making a change because it seems like they're saying what people want to, they think people want to hear but when the numbers come out we don't we see, if we see any progress it's marginal and a lot of times we see a step uh, a step back I have to uh, do we have enough time for you to answer that? Because <laughs> <laughs> you're not talking about my job. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, no, I mean, I will say, I will say um, 2020 has been, um, was just a, just a reckoning. There, there are certain things that I have learned just in my experience about whether or not companies are truly invested in mm. DEI. So, um, and so, yeah, people can take out some ads. They could say, hey, we're going to do this. We're, you know, and they can hold hands and sing Kumbaya and, you know, say, exactly. oh, this is terrible. Exactly. You know, I mean, and, and, and that's, that, and that's fine because that's what's expected of them in the moment. But that doesn't Correct. necessarily mean that that is what is taking priority for them in those organizations. So really when you're looking at, and this is what I counsel, you know, I have a lot of people that reach out and they say, Hey, Leslie, I'm interested in getting into the DEI space. And I'm like, okay, you have to be very thoughtful about where you go um, if you want to be in the DEI space. And so there's certain things that you have to look for when you are um, seeing if a company is really committed to DEI. One, you want to see if the leadership has the wherewithal to talk about where they are publicly and they are transparent with their information and with their data. Because if they're not telling you what their company looks like and who's in their company and what they're trying to do, and if that's not coming from the CEO, then they'll let you know that they're not that invested. Two, a lot of organizations kind of embed DEI into their HR department. And so you mm -hmm, have to correct. look at where the DEI person falls. So you want to find out like who the DEI person is reporting to. Are they reporting directly to the CEO? Are they reporting to the CHRO? Are they reporting to someone who reports to the CHRO? So those are all things that are very telling about how committed a company is to DEI. Um, at my organization, one of the reasons I joined was because I had a conversation with my CEO at the time and he was very clear about where he stood with DEI and he gave me some specific examples. The other thing that really intrigued me about my particular bank is that we have a separate office of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And my I report into the chief diversity officer who reports into the CDO, but my entire job is not HR. It's a separate from HR. But then I also get involved in things like we do a lot of work with our members. We're a cooperative bank, so we do things for members. So I do a lot of education of our members. But we also do a lot of work around supplier diversity. So if a company is truly committed to DEI, it's not just an HR involvement, but it's across the company. And then lastly, you want to look at what resources um, those companies are putting into DEI. Are they putting in money to, you know, put those ads out or are they putting in money to, um, put people into leadership development programs? Are they supporting pipeline programs? Are they supporting training programs 
for their employees. And so you want to take a broad look at what is that comp- what's important for that company. And I will say a lot of companies, they don't, you know, it's, it's smoke and mirrors, you know? And right, so right. when I saw, you know, during 2020, you know, all of a sudden everybody was, was jumping on this bandwagon, but you really have to go a lot deeper into companies to see where they are around DEI. Got it. Got it. This, you know, number one, thank you for that. You know, one of the things I struggle with, you know, and and maybe I drank the Kool-Aid in 2020, um, thinking that we finally was going to see a reckoning. Um, and everybody was saying the same thing. But I want to back up to what you said a minute ago about a company being 100% committed. Mm-hmm. Because what I've seen at a lot of companies, they're not, they, yes, they'll hire, you know, hire a chief diversity officer, but not everybody within the leadership uh, 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 suite is on the same page, right. right? And when you don't have everybody on the same page, then eventually it falls by the wayside. And then, you know, the DEI person or that group is, is frustrated because they're trying to make change. That's why they're there, but they can't get the buy-in. All right. Now, I want to pivot to this. Most companies, not most, all companies care about one thing, revenue. (laughs) Okay. They care about the bottom line. And I've seen, you know, stuff, and we're going to talk about it. I've seen stuff that says, hey, having a more diverse organization, having people who brings different perspectives, different thoughts can help drive business outcomes better if it was just a linear organization. Can you, because to me, I think, and and again, you tell me, but I always thought that would be the key. If you could show a company that they're going to drive more revenue by being more inclusive, they should jump on board, you know, both feet on. So what's your thoughts on that? I mean, in theory, yes. (laughs) But the, (laughs) the, the, the the challenge with being um, inclusive is that it's hard. It is. Um, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of conflict resolution. It takes a lot of empathy. And um, companies, in my experience, time is money. And so right. they um, are looking to develop and do things very quickly so they can drive, you know, drive sales. And but when you're really being an inclusive organization, you have to do a lot more work to get to that spot where people feel comfortable sharing their ideas and sharing their thoughts and sharing those perspectives. So a lot of times, you know, companies will say, okay, we're going to bring some people in and we're going to hire all these people, but then they're not doing the work to get people to stay. And they're not getting, they're not doing the work to educate people on how different cultures or different communities communicate, how they view the world, how their perspectives kind of see things. And so because everyone's kind of looking for that quick fix and inclusion is not a quick fix, it just isn't. And it comes with a lot of time, effort, and empathy that a lot of companies, they're not necessarily willing to to give. So based on that, you know, for my audience and for any person that works in corporate America and for anybody who has a DEI organization, how is it being measured? How would how would the average person who works, who's an entry level or mid manager know that their DEI program is working? Um, really, it's about um, the attrition rates. 
um, who's who's staying and who's um, going. It's also looking at who's being promoted and um, who's not being promoted. So those are very key tangible types of things that tell you that they're doing the work. Um, at my company, we do a lot of work around supplier diversity. Um, so we mm -hmm. measure how we are onboarding vendors, how we're supporting diverse businesses. So for example, what we did, um, we have a very thoughtful supplier diversity program. And in Chicago, during the pandemic, ironically, we moved offices. And so we built a brand new office. And what my company said is, they said, okay, we're going to have 50% of the vendors that are associated with our move and that construction project are going to be diverse vendors. And so mm. they were thoughtful they did a lot of research. They did a lot of um, relationship building. And so as a result of that, 81% of our vendors that were associated with our um, office move were diverse vendors. So it's really wow. about looking at where your organization is and what it is that you're kind of going to work at and how you're going to improve those things. Because that's the other thing that a lot of DEI um, programs do. They kind of boil the ocean. They say, okay, we want to do this. We want to do that. We want to do everything. And, and you can't. And, and you have to be thoughtful and you have to look at DEI as a business. And you have to right. say, okay, these are some goals. This is what I want to have. This is where we are. This is where I'm trying to be. And then actively work and create initiatives that are going to get you there. That is outstanding. And, and, and I just want to back up a little bit because I want to make sure everybody's on the same page with what you said, right? So first, your company is 100% committed to DEI. Now, let's be clear. A lot of companies say that. But here's the, to my question. The employees can see that you're 100% committed because you said we're got 50% of our vendors are going to be people of color. People can see that. So they can see that you're actually doing what you're said you're going to do, which I would imagine when you talked about that one of the measure, uh, measuring sticks was attrition. I would imagine when people see that the company is actually 100% committed and then they can see some of the results, they're probably staying at your organization as well. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. We know that a lot of companies have DEI, organ, uh, DEI departments. We know they still struggle to be able to, to be effective because most of them are not 100% committed. Most of them, to your point, are looking at the short put. So, you know, hey, we got to, you know, we got to drive revenue now. They're not looking at the whole 18 whole, whole course, right? I, the question I have is, then why is DEI under attack? Because out in the media sphere, right, you have everybody calling they're woke or, you know, they, uh, I'm going to lose my job or, you know, they're, you know, uh, uh, um, these diverse, we don't want diversity and inclusion. You know, people are having uh, political campaigns, not talking about, you know, we're going to save you from foreign enemies or we're going to make the economy better or, you know, we're going to build out infrastructure. It's woke. It's we don't want diversity and inclusion. So if it ain't working the way it's supposed to. But why are people attacking it? You know, our, <laughs> so I don't know if we have enough time to go into all of that. <laughs> I mean, you know, people don't like it when their environment is changing. 
and they like things to stay the way they are. And our country is, is shifting and is changing and, um, and people are nervous. So we knew, you know, I mean, statistics say that, you know, by 2050, it's exactly a majority minority Brown, country, yes, you, know, blah, 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 you know, all of these things. So, so for, so for people that this is shifting for, that is very, um, it's a challenge for them because they don't know how to do that. And so, and that's part of what's making, and this is just my opinion, making our country just so polarized is the Mm -hmm. fact that people Mm -hmm. aren't willing to give up what they think they have. And, um, Oh, can you just back, hold it for one second? So you, I just want to, you said people are not willing to give up what they think they have. What did you mean by that? I mean that there's a book and I can't remember who wrote it, but it's called The Sum of All Fears. And basically what that book talks about are all of these proposals that could have gone through government. So they're talking about like the unions, they're talking about different housing programs, different things that weren't necessarily racially based, but because Mm -hmm. of the context in which it was framed for people by certain people that they were um, talking about how they were going to lose something if this legislation went went through. And so as a result of that, you know, we have people that have been um, influenced by the media, influenced by our government, influenced by a lot of different people that aren't truly educated on what are those things that could potentially benefit people to make things a little bit more equitable across the spectrum. And so I think that um, because our country, it's it's so racially based. Um, people are, so, it's such a, a, a difficult topic. And finally, um, people, you know, especially Black people are, are saying, you know what, this has been going on for years and they can give very specific, tangible examples. But people are just saying, well, no, that's not true. I mean, they, in Florida, they're just saying that slavery um, benefited Black people. I mean, like, exactly, you know exactly, what I mean? Exactly. So, I mean, People are just kind of uh, spearing, you know, this kind of rhetoric around because they're trying to make people think that they're going to lose something if right. they aren't given, you know, if things shift or if things change. And I think that has right. a lot to do. And so fear mongering, zero sum game and the strategy divide and conquer. Absolutely. Right. If we can separate them and they fight amongst themselves, we can stay in power. Right. Right. You know, obviously, we have a lot of, um, you know, white listeners to a Black Executive Perspective podcast. Mm-hmm. And what you just got finished saying, the majority of, of, of that fear, the majority of the zero-sum game I'm going to lose out is coming from the white population. What would you say to our audience that are white um, and calm their fears that diversity, equity, inclusion within their organization is a good thing? And then more importantly, is not to replace them. So I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I think that what people have to really recognize is that as Americans, and really just for people in general in the world, people want the same thing. They want to feel happy. They want their children to be successful. They want to be able to um, live and work. Most people want to work, you know, all, they want, everybody wants the same things. And so I think what you have to do 
is people have different experiences and perspectives. And so it's really about taking that time to listen, to understand where people are coming from and what it is that they want for themselves and really try to find a, a way to blend the values and the things that they want together. So I think that that's right. something that's extremely important. And what we've found like at my bank, especially, and I think this has worked pretty well, is um, white people assume that they're not diverse. Because a lot of times, you know, I'll go into a room and they'll say, I'm not diverse. And I'm like, uh, everybody, a diversity means difference. It's not, you know, it's not, I'm black, so I'm not diverse. You know, that's not what diversity so, is. So basically what you're saying is they're they're thinking it from a color standpoint. Correct, basically. correct. Got you. Got you. Color or age or, you know, whatever. Right. You throw that dimension on there. But, but they're looking at it, you know, I am not, diverse. And so what I always try to explain to people is that no person is the same and that everybody has different perspectives and different ways of doing things. And to your point earlier that you talked about, if you're willing to do that work, then you can make more money for your company and then more opportunities will follow. And so right. what we've done at my at my bank is um, in 2020, and I'm still doing it now, is we've just created... Um, places for conversation. So I started right in 2020 and we were very, in, in my opinion, pretty courageous because we did three panel discussions. Um, and we called them getting real about race. So the first one we had black people sharing their feelings after George Floyd. Then after some convincing, um, I have found four white people and I said, I want you to share what you have learned about race and what you were taught about race. And they shared their experiences. And then we did a program for baby boomers and millennials and what they were taught about race and how that kind of influenced their perspective. And then after that, we, I did a lot of self, um, small group conversations to react to what they heard during those panels. But what we've managed to do at my company is kind of let people tell their own diversity or their own inclusion story. And so from that, people are getting to know each other from very different correct, perspectives. Correct, and correct. so as a result, so once I can connect with you emotionally, then it's much easier for me to have an understanding of where you're coming from. And then that's why we can drive, we're, we're having a lot of success at my company, I would say, is because we're, we're facilitating these conversations where people feel safe enough to share with each other. I love it, Leslie. I love it. I love it. I love it. And that's why we started this podcast. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, for whatever reason, we don't talk about race. Right. We avoid it like the plague. And the reason we avoid it, it doesn't bring people together. It further pushes them apart. But if you can get people together and Put it in, get them in a safe space and let them talk and let them ask questions without them being judged yep. or anything like that. It's amazing that we start coming together. And more importantly, we see the other person's perspective, Correct. right? No matter what color. So that's awesome. One of the things, you know, and I know I'm just thinking of things that my audience will probably want to dive into. How did, as, as an individual, and I, I've, you know, I had a friend of mine tell me that, um, you know, his friend was going for a job and he had talked and you had talked earlier about networking. Mm -hmm. Okay. And typically people hire who they already know. Mm -hmm. All right. So 
he was going for a white guy, right? Uh, guy said, yep, I like you. Give me a couple days. I think I'm going to bring you in, right? And then when he followed up with him, uh, the hiring manager said, uh, unfortunately, man, that job is filled. We had to give it to a diverse candidate, right? So then this, uh, yeah, see how your head goes down? <laughs> and then so now this guy walks away saying, that was my job, <laughs> All right. But they had to give it to a diverse candidate, which basically in his mind, this person wasn't qualified. They only hired them because they're black or a woman or, or whatever the case may be. So so speak to that a little bit, because that's one of the things going back to your some of all fears type thing. Right. Or what you think you have. Right. So I would love to hear your thoughts on that, because that's something that we're seeing a lot and a lot of people I chat with, and they're frustrated because the, the person comes into the company with two hands tied behind their back, because now they're, they're denoted, they're noted as a diverse, not, not the, the, the company's not saying it, but the people around them say, you're only here because you're a diverse uh, hire. Yeah. And I mean, a, a lot of that just comes from um, education. Um you know, everyone will always say, well, we couldn't, we couldn't find anybody. And, um, <laughs> and, but I, you know, I, I know thousands of people that have degrees and that are experienced and that have um, wonderful characteristics. And I, and I, I could call one, you know, right now or 20 right now, if you needed me to, but the problem is we're not looking. And, and it's a, a lot of it is just the perpetuation to your point again of like, just media and how um, people always talk about these things. And so rather than saying, so sometimes people are trying to make others like them feel better. And so they'll exactly. say things like, oh, it went to the diverse candidate. So instead of saying, oh, we gave it to this woman who um, who's, is who's from awesome. MIT, <laughs> yeah, yeah, has you know, this degree. She's, and, she has this type of background. Correct. And she brings this and she's a perfect fit for the job. Right. So instead of I mean, so we really have to change how we are talking about what is required for these jobs. And so we're you have to kind of shift that conversation into like, what is the experience? What mm -hmm. is it? The skills that these people are possessing and not about the diversity. And that that's the biggest challenge. But not there isn't enough education around hiring managers. Cause you know, if we all can put our HR hats on and say, okay, you know, HR, I'm I know because I'm in HR that this is how we we talk about things, but we're not educating those hiring managers that are making those hiring, hiring decisions. decisions. And that's really where that kind of uh is, is the hiccup. There's no question. And I always said, you know, I, I always came, come back to this. If you really want to diversify your organization, you will, <laughs> because if you don't, any excuse will do. Right. Okay. So that, that's automatic. You know, one of the, one of the areas that I've heard, uh, you know, my audience probably heard when they're trying you, and that's why I want to jump into it because you spoke to it. Well, it's hard to find somebody. <laughs> we don't know nobody. And this is my opinion. And, and look, I've been in corporate America for over 35 years. I've seen a lot. Okay. I've been a hiring manager. At the end of the day, to your point, when you just want to feel the job and you, and you, you say, Hey, Leslie, I know Leslie, let's get Leslie in here. But if you don't have a network of individuals that's outside of the people that you know, then you say it's hard. And then not only that, I want this is where I want to dive into this, because 
when you were talking about senior leadership, I'm talking, you know, SVP, I'm talking C-suite, right? At the end of the day, it's always hard to find a person of color, a black person to be, you know, CRO, a CFO. And, and, I, and I get a sense, and that's why I want to hear your thoughts, is the, uh, the process of, that, of finding that individual. In other words, if somebody's white and we're just looking at their background and we're like, oh, who do you know? And we, we vet them a little bit. But if they're black, they have to be unique. <laughs> they have to be like an astronaut. They have to be the one, one of 1% one to get the job versus everybody else didn't have to be vetted that way. They're regular individuals, right? And they're just, and they got the, and, and look, they probably got it because they deserve it. I'm not knocking it. But when it comes to vetting high level black individuals, it's a, it's a, it's a different vetting game. Let me hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you spoke to it. Um, it, it it's, it's, it's who you know. And um, the, the challenge is you have to work with those leaders to help them expand their networks. And so there are several things that you can do to get people to expand their networks if people are willing to do that. And that is part of the challenge. You have to get people willing to do that. And that comes from, again, conversation, engagement, and empathy. But one of the things like we do at our bank is, so we have ERGs, but, and I, I had a, I'm, we're starting a pride ERG at the moment. So, um, and my philosophy is every ERG has an executive sponsor and I work with those executive sponsors and I say, okay, this is what your role is. And I give them their education. I say, here are some articles, here are some podcasts, here are some things. If you are going to be working with this ERG, I really need you to understand this community. But we want, I have a rule that if you identify with that ERG for my executive sponsors. So I can't have my black um, executives representing our African-American ERG. Our, I have to have someone who's white um, so they can mm. understand mm. what some of those challenges are and what people are saying on the ground to help grow their networks. And so you have to put people into situations where if they're not going to do it on their own, you have to create those opportunities for, for you to do it for them. And so mm. it's important to make sure that um, those C-suite, those SVP leaders have they're some involved. kind of access to different employees across all different backgrounds so they can really start to understand that everyone is at the company because we hired them into the company because they brought some value to the company. And so Mm -hmm. we have to give them the opportunity to share how they are contributing and how they're adding value and do it in a way that's not being judged by something that they said or something that they did, but really um, giving our senior leaders that exposure to this is how these communities communicate. This is how they work. This is how things happen in those communities. That's awesome. Are you guys, do you get any pushback from within the organization? It seems like you guys, you got a lot of good stuff going on. So I'm, you know, I, I've never seen nobody, a hundred percent of anybody, no. if anything be. So what do you, what do you, how do you deal with the pushback that happens in the organization? You know, I mean, really what we're trying to do. So thankfully I work for an organization that's based in community. 
Um, mm -hmm. And so our mission is really to help communities thrive. And so we give capital to community banks, credit unions, those types of things, so they can make home loans and they can make small business loans in their communities. And so really um, what we do, whenever I get some pushback, it's really about, you know, do you understand what community means and what it means in these particular areas? And so like, I don't know, last year I got a letter, a very long email from someone that was um, very interested in why we decided to call out Juneteenth um, and celebrate it as a part of the company's kind of celebratory things, right, but we didn't right. do Fourth of July. And, you know, and the, the person was very, you know, upset because we didn't call out Fourth of July. And I said, we've been calling out Fourth of July for, you know, years, but um, and we've talked about it. But we this is the first time that Juneteenth is a holiday in our country. Right. And a lot of people don't understand what that means. And so my job is to educate you about different things that impact different individuals that aren't like you. And so that's right. kind of how I keep all of that going. So. Wow. I mean, listen, you know, unfortunately you're not going to get everybody, but no. I love the way you, yeah, it's just not going to happen, but it's still, you guys are a hundred percent committed. You know, earlier we talked about intersectionality, right? And so, you know, you have, you know, we all are not just singular individuals, right? You have, African-Americans that's gay, you have, you know, LBG, you have a whole litany of different people, but also who intersect into different things. So tell me a little bit in terms of how DEI, the, the influence, is for how it's needed for DEI. I mean, the I importance, think, I should say. I mean, intersectionality, uh, I mean, you just said it best. We, we are not just one thing. You know, I am a woman. And I experience things as a woman. I am biracial. I experiencing things being biracial. Correct. Um, I'm a Gen X. And so I, my view of the we world. Keep going down the road. Huh? <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, and, but, but see, and what's really interesting for me, you know, especially me being biracial, you know, I get a lot of people are like, well, what's it like to be mixed? I'm like, I don't know. You know, what's it like to be black? You know, I, I, I don't know. And so, and I can't answer you know, because even my experience as a biracial person um, is very different from my brother's experience as Correct. a biracial person. You know, my brother looks different from me. My brother is a man. And so how I can navigate through the world is very different how he has to navigate through the world. And when you think about that intersectionality, um, there are lots of multiple lenses that people view and experience the world. And so you can't lump people into just one bucket. And so that's right. really what diversity, equity, and that keyword is inclusion, inclusion is really talking about. It's like making people understand things from a variety of experiences and perspectives, not just putting people into a bucket. And that's what's really important important. That is awesome. And I love that answer because it is so important. And at the end of the day, if we can all come together and more importantly, stop worrying about, you know, what about me? Right. And really, you know, say, hey, let's, what can we do together? You know, our, 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 our companies, our country would be going on a lot of different, uh, play, better places. Absolutely. You know, a couple of weeks, about a month or two ago, the Supreme Court came down and said that you can't use race for admissions, um, to, for, for college admissions. Do you think 
that's going to have any effect in terms of corporate America from a DEI standpoint? I mean, I think it already has. You know, I mean, you had the GOP, you know, they had the, was it the state's attorneys or attorney generals sending mm-hmm. letters, um, putting people on notice? And uh, exactly, you exactly. Had, um, you had the Democrats um, putting other people on notice, you know, that you can't right. do this. And so I think that, you know, again, it's really about, you know, who you are as a company and as an organization and what it is that your company truly values. And so I think that, you know, if you do, um, things like based on race, that makes people nervous because they're looking at, okay, am, am I going to be sued? And so really, and that's it. what you have to think about is what are, what am I doing for all of my employees and what experiences am I giving to all of my employees and what do they need and what conversations do they have to have? Because not everybody walks into a space at the same level with the same viewpoint. And so maybe providing employees with things that they hadn't considered prior is the way to do that without necessarily calling out race specifically, but you can call out different experiences. You can call out different ideas and perspectives based on um, what is happening in the world. So So based, based on that, and and I hear you, how do, so if I'm hearing that and, you know, things like they don't want to be sued. So when a company says that, hey, I want to go back to what you said earlier about, hey, 50 percent of our vendors are going to be, you know, diverse. Right. So how do you now um, are, are able to increase your diversity, but not, you know, say race or come up with percentages in terms of what you want to do from a, from a, a diversity standpoint? I mean, I, I think you you want to always keep in mind your numbers and you, you mm-hmm. want to always kind of look at like what's happening. And but I do think, you know, even when we were very targeted around finding our vendors, um, those diverse vendors to work on that project, we didn't hire those diverse vendors because. They were black. They were diverse. <laughs> we hired those vendors because, because they we were good, intentionally, we looked for people that could give us the services and products that we needed. And they had the best service that was available. And so we went out to find. And so we didn't say, OK, well, we're not going to take any bids from any white company. We, we didn't right. do that. You know, we took right. bids from everybody. But then right. we made decisions based on our price points, what they what they were offering, and that's how those decisions were made. But it was because we were being very thoughtful in making sure that we had a wide array of people that were responding, and we went outside of our networks um, to find different vendors that could compete for those bids and for those projects. That's how we were able to do it. So we weren't doing it just to say, hey, you know, we got to put some black people in to build our chairs or, you know, whatever. We, we didn't do it that way. We did it. Um, we went through our normal process, but then we expanded our network to make sure that we were finding the best vendors that could meet our needs. Awesome. Awesome. You know, I got two final questions for you. It seems like, you know, your bank, you know, number one, they hired the the right person, right? <laughs> you, you have the passion and you, you're a hundred percent behind it. You're making sure you're trying to include everyone outside of, you know, your organization, what other organization you have seen that's doing a really good job from a diversity, equity, inclusion standpoint? So I would say 
I mean, it, I am biased. Um, the YMCA. Um, <laughs> okay. They do some Did great work. Did you set that up before you left? Yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean they, they do. But see, one of the things that the Y does is they, they take their communities through like, um, there's a, there's a, uh, inventory is called the intercultural development inter- inventory that kind of mm-hmm. just kind of bases your cultural awareness. So they take their leaders through that. They have a lot of conversations around race. So they're very bold. Um, mm-hmm. I would also say, you know, I always speak to um, Nike. I mean, honestly, Nike. I mean, I think okay. that just with how they stood behind Colin Kaepernick during that whole I don't, I don't, I'm not, a, I don't follow football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. But, I know. know. When, I mean, he, but, when he took the knee and stuff like that. Yeah, but they, you know, they said, this is who we are and this is mm-hmm. what we are about. And they right. did not waver from that. And so I think that, you know, you have to take a stand on who you are. And so, and for me, Nike kind of represents, they have always been, you know, not always, but you know, I mean, in the last, you know, 20 years, they have been very inclusive. They've been mm-hmm. very thoughtful about how they could, you know, work with different um, abilities. Um, I love, they have new shoe designs for people that, you know, have, you know, uh, developmental and uh, they're physically um, challenged and those Challenge. types of things. And yeah. so, I mean, but they're always being, they're at the forefront of how they can be um, more inclusive. I would also say that Hyatt um, International, they do an mm. exceptional job. Um, Tyrone Studemeyer, he does some mm. fantastic work with Hyatt in terms of thinking about their employees and thinking about how they could grow that pipeline. And they're very intentional about who's coming into the company and how they're being successful. So those are two I would watch. For sure. That's awesome. Thank you for that feedback. And then the final thought is, what do you want to leave to our listeners today? What's your final thought for our listeners? I mean, I, my final thought is inclusion matters. It, it's it's just, it's important. And I will say that, you know, our country at the moment is very divisive. Um, it's very polarized. But, you know, knowing who you are and knowing what it's about and how you want to serve all people and all customers is really important. And you can only do that by bringing a variety of people together and being intentional about being inclusive. I love it. Be intentional about being inclusive. I love it. I love it. How can a black executive perspective podcast help you, Leslie? You know, um, I appreciate this conversation and what is what I am definitely going to do is share this with my executives and I'm going to share it with um, a lot of people that are asking questions about how we can do this work better. And so um, I do think that bringing in very relevant topics and bringing in speakers. And one of the things I would love to hear more about is the polarization that's happening. And so if you have someone coming up to talk about that, especially with these elections that are coming, that flat out, that would be a fantastic thing for me to learn from. Well, guess what? We do. And I'm going to circle back with you after. And I'll let you know as soon as we book the time, because we already chatted with a couple individuals. We just got to schedule it. So we'll definitely let you all know on that. You know, I want to thank you for your passion, your intellect. You know, you, 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 you bring a level of not just expertise, but I'll use your word, very intentional. Um, and at the end of the day, to make things, you know, there's an old saying, nothing grows in a comfort zone. And, you know, most people, and we're all human beings, we want to be comfortable. <laughs> However, you grow 
when you're uncomfortable. Right. And that's where we need to get a lot of these organizations to it's okay to be uncomfortable and not try to play for the short putt, but be uncomfortable. So then you can win, you know, the the 18 hole game versus the first two holes. So you helped us with that today. You gave us a lot to think uh, things to think about. So my tidbit for the day is this and it's by Alan Joyce. We have a very diverse environment and a very inclusive culture. And those characteristics got us through the tough times. Diversity generates better strategy, better risk management, better debates, debates, and better outcomes. And that's by Alan Joyce. So hopefully you enjoyed today's uh, session. Is DUI working? Love, as I said, love to, to hear your feedback. Give us feedback. And for my guest, Leslie, I'm Tony Tidbit. We're out. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Tony Tidbit, a Black executive perspective, and for joining in today's conversation. With every story we share, every conversation we foster, and every barrier we address, we can ignite the sparks that bring about lasting change. And this carries us one step closer to transforming the face of corporate America. If today's episode resonated with you, consider subscribing and leaving us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Share this episode with your circle, and with your support, we can reach more people and tell more stories.